I'm with Marius Kutsukos, my first guest, soon after the podcast started officially close to New Year's Eve of 2020. Marius is a PhD candidate in history of religions in the late antiquity at the University of Liverpool, a history enthusiast and lifelong scholar as an epic fiction novelist bilingual author and a graduate of the National and Capodistrian University of Athens in the French language and literature and a Master's of Arts holder in creative writing from the Hellenic Open University. Marius, since 2004, has been involved in the international metal music scene writing lyrics and developing concepts for bands in Greece and worldwide. In his own words, much like a bass player, he cannot be considered a proper musician, but rather someone who hangs out with artists. Marius, as mentioned before, is not new to the Global Pick Interest podcast. He was my first guest in the episode Battles in History and Life No Regrets, where we saw how battles in history teach us about living a life with no regrets. In the episode Beyond Time and Technology, when the pandemic started by looking into the perception of pandemics across fictional literature as an opportunity to reveal our true selves and finding our purpose versus being consumed by events. The 200 years from the 1821 War of Independence of the Hellenes episode about the role of the Philhellenes and the big powers of those times, the impact of classicism, and that of Hellenism of the 19th century to the post-war of independence Greece. Also, Marius was my guest for the episodes The Past Defines Us, The Romans in Propaganda versus the Hellenes, parts one and two, on the crucial role of the Roman Empire where today's misconceptions of reality, everyday life find their roots, Roman manipulation of the Greek Hellenic culture, how principles of the ancient Greek culture are used and applied today. Mario spoke about the philosophy and religion of Platonic Outlook's description episode with a focus on the philosophical schools and trends in late antiquity adopted by the Romans to form early Christianity. And last year, when we met for the last time in the episode, the past defines us, the end of philosophy and the beginning of the Middle Ages, the Byzantines. To listen to more exciting guests and a unique perspective on current and timeless matters, please subscribe, like, and leave your comments to the Global Greek Influence Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and six more podcasting platforms, in addition to the podcast, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn accounts, as well as to the podcast website, globalcreekinfluence.com. Welcome to the show, Maria, again. Uh, well met, Panagiota. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for your invitation. It really feels like home. I mean, uh, now that you enumerated all my previous appearances on the show, I just think to myself, oh, how, how, when, uh, when did we do all those uh, very stimulating and interesting talks? I mean, it's great to be back. As the title of this episode suggests, we will discuss the link between the metal music scene and the Greek history and mythology. And I would like also to add here that this is going to be another exciting discussion as the ones we had before uh, through the platform of the podcast. And thank you once again, Maria, for accepting my invitation. I mentioned all previous episodes with you on purpose because especially those related to Greece and its culture, it has been underlined that our Greek heritage has been interpreted through many recent and older contexts but we always try to shed light on perceptions and misconceptions and bring objectivity, of course, to the extent of our subjectivity. Yet I hope the questions and background information I use in my questions to the guests approach objectivity. Most metal music fans know that a genre 
is highly influenced by history, mythology, and the figures portrayed in them. To the Greek audience, Flight of Icarus and Alexander the Great by Iron Maiden are most well known. In a sense, metal music lyrically retells myths and history. In the case of Flight of Icarus, Iron Maiden delivers the myth of Icarus through Ovid's metamorphosis. Again, through the Romans, we know more about the history of Alexander III of Macedon, whom the Romans characterized as great. As in the past defines us, the Romans and propaganda versus the Hellenes, parts one and two episodes with you, Maria, we saw the retelling of history and philosophy through Roman telling or retelling. Today, we will explore the retelling of Greek history and mythology through metal music. Why is heavy metal inspired by Greek history and mythology? Thank you very much uh, for laying the uh, groundwork for me and of course for mentioning those great songs. I believe every metalhead's first contact with ancient Greek culture must have been Alexander the Great or Flight of Icarus by Iron Maiden. Uh, Alexander the Great is one of my all-time favorite songs in any case, but this uh, deep connection between heavy metal and classical Greek myth or history, sometimes both, I believe comes from um, uh, the uh, the relationship between metal being a genre born in the West and the classicism that is predominant in the West. So thinking that uh, classical Greek myths and classical Greek history has been um, teaching and shaping uh, the ideas about the world and about history in the Western world, it is only natural that uh, a music genre created by this culture should be heavily, would be rather heavily influenced by uh, Greek uh, culture. At the same time, uh, Greek myth and history do have some incredibly badass moments, some incredibly epic moments, some incredibly uh, shocking moments, moments with shock value, like uh, Hercules fighting the centaurs, the Argonauts setting sail to grab the Golden Fleece, the Trojan War. Um, so, Heavy metal being by its nature a badass and kind of provocative genre of music would by default and by nature be drawn to those themes. And in a sense, those themes of classical antiquity and classical mythology do give, a, let's say, an excuse uh, to tell the stories of war, of mayhem, of bloodshed, of magic, of uh, mythical creatures, to tell all those stories by maintaining also, um, let's say, a level of uh, nuanced um, intellectual uh, prowess on the part of the music. Musician. Therefore, uh, in metal, I think uh, all the musicians who choose to deal with those subjects uh, do so in a way that kind of makes them feel proud of the, what they're, they're doing and um, rather delving deeper into the, um, the story and to the epic themes that metal deals with, rather than just writing a song about the ultimate warrior or some generic epic stuff like that. It's much better if it's Achilles. For instance, I would uh, point out uh, in Man of Wars, uh, um, the Triumph of Steel album, there's a huge 30-minute song devoted to the Iliad. So there's even a, a like five-minute drum solo called The Armor of Achilles. That It's a drum solo, if you can believe that. And it's about Hephaestus forging the new armor of Achilles. It's terrible. It's really bad. I mean, uh, nobody can go through that. But still, from an artistic point of view, uh, it's a drum solo inspired by the Iliad. So that's great. So that, that in a nutshell, that's that's how I I, I understand uh, the influence of uh, classical myth in uh, metal. These two have the same aesthetic that kind of fits 
So basically, it's only natural that uh, heavy metal is inspired by classical Greek myths. I feel so lucky to have met you, Mario, because I don't think I would have found a better guest than you, who is both a classicist and uh, who writes lyrics for heavy metal uh, bands, also playing bass in metal bands. Since we are now in the field of ancient history and uh, mythology, contrary to the ancient mainstream, including philosophical Proathenian concepts, Sparta stimulated Plato's Republic and Xenophon's constitution of the Spartans and could be considered a type of escapist fantasy following Socrates' execution. In the metal scene, we see at least 94 bands having one song of ancient Sparta. Why do we see such a preference? That's actually a very good question. This uh, Spartomania, Spartamania, shall we say, uh, it is very common, especially in uh, heavy in the heavy metal genre, to find the albums dedicated to uh, exclusively, almost exclusively, the Spartans. And just as in antiquity, this sort of Spartan bravado, this this fame that the Spartans had as being the ultimate warriors of the ancient world, which was <laughs> Yeah, it was based in truth. There was truth to it, but it's kind of a hype as well. It's uh, a bit uh, blown out of proportion, but that fits perfectly again with uh, the um, excessiveness of uh, the heavy metal genre. It fits well with its uh, willingness to go above and beyond and to portray the ultimate warrior in an excessive and highly romanticized light. This sort of approach, this sort of romantic approach towards ancient Sparta is, as you said, uh, something that goes a long way back into antiquity. Uh, for instance, uh, Plato and uh, Xenophon, being a mercenary himself and a great military commander, was very much in awe and admired the Spartan constitution. Plato, on the other hand, on the same page, being on the same page, uh, did mention that of all the Greeks, it's the Spartans who are the true philosophers because they speak very little and they act. Um, so. Throughout history, throughout the Greek history, um, Spartans have been admired for their warlike spirit and their simplicity. And heavy metal is, in essence, one of uh, some of its most fundamental themes is uh, the warlike theme, the martial theme, if you will, uh, and uh, the fundamentally male, simple way of life that overcomes all adversity. So. In that sense, yes, uh, Sparta would be the poster boy, the darling boy of heavy metal. At the same time, in history, you have some of the uh, greatest uh, badass moments in history done, uh, uh, carried out by the Spartans. For instance, the Battle of Thermopylae. Uh, one of the bands I've worked with, Sacred Blood, a Greek band, uh, they do have a, an album entirely dedicated to the Battle of Thermopylae. Didn't write the lyrics to that myself, though it is a great album. I really do enjoy that especially Blades in the Night, it's a great song. Uh, but in any case, yeah, the Battle of Thermopylae has been done to death. I mean, uh, pretty much every single band that has dealt in ancient Greek history, they has done a song about Thermopylae. I myself have written a song about Thermopylae. I'm, probably I have. Most probably I, I, I have written something about that, but uh, it must be one of those folk earth or folk odia songs that I totally forget. I mean, I've totally lost count of my discography at this point, but pretty much, yeah, every band has done that. 
Uh, now, of course, you do have some bands that, uh, you know, use Sparta as a vehicle to express some political ideas. We'll get to that later. But yeah, indeed, Sparta does hold a fascination, just like the U.S. Marines or the Navy SEALs uh, hold a fascination to the general public or the uh, Russian Spetnas or, you know, uh, extreme fighting forces being the prototype for people uh, being disciplined and overcoming all adversity. And heavy metal is pretty much about being uh, able to overcome all adversity in an epic and kick-ass way. So why not Sparta? We'll come back to the masculinity promoted through heavy metal music, especially and broadly in the metal scene, but we will stick to the history part of uh, the uh, metal music which retells ancient mythology and history, most often sourcing historical and literature references by adding lyrical elements. In the case of more recent historical events, one might refer to the Sabaton's coat of arms, which uh, refers to the Greco-Italian war declared on 28th of October, 1940. How does heavy metal influence our perception of classic times, also more recent, historical events. Actually, another great song, Coat of Arms by Sabaton. And just to jump back on the previous question, yes, Sabaton do have a song about Sparta as well, because you can't uh, be in heavy metal and dealing history and not have a song about Sparta. But uh, for instance, Sabaton is a great example of a band that deals in uh, historical events and almost exclusively, well, basically exclusively on military history. So right there, you see this mixing of epic power metal with military history and to be honest a song can never entirely cover the whole objective view of history so uh, when there's a, a song about a historical event it will be biased it will be a um, brief description of the historical event it approaches and it will never be entirely accurate uh, it has to be romanticized, it has to be idealized, otherwise it would be a boring song, actually. Uh, that's um, something, actually, there's a funny story about that, I'll tell it later on. But yeah, uh, when it comes to writing lyrics about history, uh, you have to kind of romanticize the whole narrative and create, let's say, a narrative where there's the good guys and the bad guys, regardless of whether you believe that uh, as the lyricist, but that's how it works. Um, and uh, for instance, uh, there's this lack of uh, historical, let's say, references and bibliography in modern metal songs. That's why you often get songs that are entirely distorted and sometimes used to promote a political agenda or uh, somebody's perceived notion of history. Uh, let me said that uh, last February, I actually attended a lovely conference entitled Heavy Metal and Pre-Modernity, uh, hosted by... Um, Charlotte Davis and Jeremy Swiss at uh, Brandeis University. It's the heavy metal and pre-modernity concert. Woo! So as part of that, I actually, because uh, this question weighed heavy on my mind, how would it be to have an actual historically accurate metal song? That's why I uh, wrote a song uh, as the lyrics. And uh, I had a, a good friend of mine, uh, Grego Mixmaster. Uh, he, we worked together in a band uh, called Downcast Twilight. So we wrote a Viking metal song with historical references. So as it would be uh, the world's first 
historically accurate heavy metal song. I'm not sure if you're following the insane idea of it uh, so far, but the idea is to actually have song lyrics that have uh, actual bibliographical references and reflect uh, antiquity in a, let's say, academic light, in a not exaggerated and not romanticized way. The outcome uh, is up to the public to judge, to be honest. Uh, my idea was that it would be really boring, uh, and although we did have fun with it, uh, but yeah. Uh, and that is why, to uh, address the other bit of your question, that is why uh, heavy metal does influence our perception of history, exactly because it is idealized, it's romanticized, and nobody wants to listen to the historically accurate stuff that I write, <laughs> uh, but that sort of stuff, the, the idealized sort of stuff, does hit the listener on the emotional level. And as you know, people do like and are convinced, to be honest, they are more convinced by emotions than they are convinced by logic. Therefore, uh, when Sabaton played uh, in Greece, uh, just, was it uh, in June? Uh, no, sorry, it must be late July. Yeah, when they played Coat of Arms, uh, from what I heard, I wasn't in Greece, alas. But yeah, the, the crowd went crazy, exactly because they actually, let's say, stimulated on an emotional level. So yes, heavy metal being heavily emotional, romanticized, and does get a response. That can be either bad or good. Depends uh, if you just stick to what heavy metal has taught you about history, then you just have a very superficial perception of history. But on the other hand, uh, Heavy metal and bands like Sabaton can be a great gateway, let's say, experience to actually learning history. And that's why I love bands that deal in history, uh, exactly because they give their audience a stimulus for further research. So in conclusion, yeah, uh, heavy metal does influence, uh, well, the perception of its crowd. And at this point, we should know that heavy metal is kind of a niche genre. It's not like it's pop music or has a huge audience. But as far as its, as its audience is concerned, sure, yeah, it does uh, exercise quite a lot quite a lot of influence in the regards that they see history. But in my experience, that gives metalheads also a, a good excuse or a good, let's say, inspiration and a good prompt to actually research history. For instance, uh, listening to songs about the Celts, uh, about Vikings, about uh, uh, the uh, ancient Slavs and all that, that really did inspire me to actually do my own research further on. And that's exactly what I'm also trying to do with my lyrics, to actually give people this prompt and this uh, same gift that I received from uh, bands that you know dealt superficially with historical themes. A couple of remarks uh, in your last answer, Maria. First of all, when we talk about political influence in a music uh, scene or a music scene influencing a political audience, it wouldn't be the first time that politics utilize art. As if uh, one claims that uh, heavy metal, for instance, promotes nationalism, which is going to be one of my following questions. If this is something that really the metal music promotes, or if metal music has been utilized by uh, nationalist parties and nationalist audiences. On the other hand, when it comes to portraying with accuracy historical events, it's not always an easy case. And I know that from a research point of view, being a chemical engineer, I know that if one claims 
um, that he had specific outcomes, I can repeat their experiments to see if this is true. Even if I find the description of experiments that happened 100 years ago, I can repeat them. But we cannot do the same with history, we cannot relive history, and we cannot really go back in time to actually live history. This is why it was very important to emphasize at the beginning that we know about the myth of Icarus that Iron Maiden were inspired for writing their flight of Icarus, but that was through Ovid's perception and writing. We don't know what the actual myth of Icarus was about in ancient Greek times. Or we know mostly about Alexander III of Macedon, whom the Romans called Alexander the Great through Roman script. So when we talk about accuracy in historical events, we should be very careful because we know that we read history through sources who had specific objectives and lenses and perceptions and interpretations for us to read today what we use even for historical analysis or for historical lessons. In 2019, the first anti-fascist extreme metal show in New York occurred partially because of the National Socialist Black Metal Bands, which still comprise only a small percentage of metal music. Metal fans have started to discuss politics that mirror the broader metal culture. As we have already addressed the retelling of history and mythology by metal bands, one might say that such narratives glorify past events and symbolisms. So has nationalism been promoted by heavy metal music or have nationalists utilized heavy metal music? Yeah, actually that's uh, one of the things, yeah, as, as I said earlier, that we need to address this issue as well. Um, just first, uh, a quick, uh, remark on your remark, remark on the remark. Of course, yeah, when we talk about historical accuracy as historians, uh, we can never 100% recreate or give people a snapshot or a video recording of what happened in history. History is a narrative, after all, and uh, it's a narrative that we try to academically and scientifically reconstruct, you know, based on sources and all that, but it's always up for debate and up for change. Uh, so, yeah, when we talk about historical accuracy in heavy metal songs, we just mean Vikings not having horns on their hairnets, that sort of thing, uh, because, you know, Vikings didn't actually, uh, the Norwegian or uh, Swedish Vikings didn't have the actual, you know, horns on their helmets. Anyway, putting that aside as a remark on the remark, going in, back into uh, your very good question about nationalism. Yes, indeed, uh, you do have a very a small percentage, a minority, I would say, in heavy metal that are politicized bands, bands being politicized in uh, the far right spectrum. Uh, and these bands try to push their ideologies using history, appropriating history, and especially classical Greek history. So when we talked about Sparta being uh, this uh, archetype of the uh, Kikas, uh, US Marines, Navy SEALs, of the ancient world, as you can imagine, that uh, sort of archetype would be very appealing to a national socialist. Of course, uh, there remains the questions: the question, do national socialists listen to that sort of metal or does that sort of metal with, let's say, Spartan uh, references uh, um, create national socialists? 
Uh, it's it's a difficult question to answer, really. I mean, uh, on a certain level, yes, uh, national socialists would be driven and uh, attracted to metal due to its uh, marching rhythms, its martial themes, uh, its warlike nature, its uh, overflowing masculinity kind of situation. Somebody who on the political spectrum is on the far right would be attracted to the whole genre of epic, historically based heavy metal. On the other hand, uh, epic, uh, historically based heavy metal does not by default mean that you are a, a far right uh, supporter. Uh, in Greece, as you may also recall, uh, from that period between 2012 and 2018, when we had the, uh, the rise of the far right uh, Golden Dawn party, then uh, there was this sort of hysteria going around in the Greek heavy metal world, to be honest, where if you even so much as touched on the subject of a hoplite, of Alexander the Great, of Spartans, or even of Greek mythology, oh, you were a fascist, believe it. And that, that was really strange because uh, I think at the time we had uh, released with Sacred Blood uh, the album uh, Alexandros, uh, referring it was a concept album. And uh, a couple of years after that, we released uh, another album with again with Sacred Blood, Argonautica, uh, based on Jason and the Argonauts. And None of us were supporters of the extreme far right or anything like that. But at the same time, these albums uh, were very coldly uh, accepted, received by the Greek uh, heavy metal public because they're like, oh, they're fascists. They deal with ancient Greek history. So actually, the, the attraction of the far right to heavy metal has, uh, in my opinion and my experience, has actually uh, damaged and harmed uh, you know, the, the, the artists that uh, very honestly and with a love of history and for, with a love for their own culture do approach those things. Uh, so this appropriation of uh, classical antiquity by the far right is indeed something, well, to be expected and toxic. And that's why we jump again to the um, subject of um, historical accuracy. For instance, all these uh, politicized bands, uh, they do not care about the historical accuracy. They care about the narrative that supports their views. For instance, uh, to give you an example, the Golden who really played support the nationalist cause. Um, and therefore, they quite liked uh, the archetype of the Spartan warrior, the ultimate man. But uh, me, as a classicist, I wonder if they had read um, uh, Philostratus, the life of Apollonius of Tiana, when in the first century, Philostratus comes uh, to Sparta and uh, he is greeted by Spartan messengers who want to you know, have him as a sage from Cappadocia, have him uh, speak and spread his wisdom to Sparta. Apollonius being a very conservative Cappadocian sage in the Pythagorean, he notices that the Spartan envoys uh, have uh, slick limbs, uh, they have waxed their whole bodies and uh, they are very, you know, perfumed and all that in the first century. So in the historical record, we can see that the Spartan warriors of Thermopylae, as time progressed in the first century, they became much more relaxed, not uh, the kind of man that a national socialist, a modern national socialist would like to see. And national socialists uh, choose to disregard the fact that Spartans were very much in cahoots and very sympathizing towards the Persians. Uh, they served as mercenaries in the uh, Persian uh, infantry, just like Athenians served as mercenaries in the uh, Persian navy. And in general, they did have quite a good relationship with the Persians. That's why they refused to fight alongside Alexander the Great in his invasion of the Persian Empire. 
So all these little uncomfortable truths, let's say, these uncomfortable historical accuracies, uh, to use this um, rather general term that we introduced, uh, would be quite a turn, uh, turn down for the National Socialists. That's why uh, extreme right, uh, extreme far right supporters or to be honest, anyone who is heavy on politics and heavy metal, uh, they focus uh, very, very specifically on certain traits of history that they want to produce. Now, does that create a problem? Aside from the problem I mentioned, uh, ruining it for everybody else, ruining it for people who just like the music and just like the history, I don't think it creates a huge problem because the average person is not really interested in, you know, jumping on on board the political bandwagon that these people are promoting. Uh, and to be honest, if anybody is leaning towards such extreme ideologies, they would end up there one way or another. I don't think heavy metal is mm, the uh, deciding factor in that, to be honest. And in my personal experience, for instance, um, I love this band Nocturnal Mortum. They're a Ukrainian band. I listened to them for quite a few years and then only then I discovered that they are actually very staunch national socialist supporters. This was quite a bummer, uh, but their music still remains good music, and it's mostly in Ukrainian, so I didn't understand what I was listening to. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, sometimes people can just stick to the music and enjoy the music, if that's their cup of tea. Uh, for me, it doesn't really work that way. I mean, I kind of get <laughs> kind of um, iffy about supporting such bands, but still, you know, I don't think heavy metal does does play such a huge role in politics. I, I think pop music or other more popular and widespread genres are much more efficient tools in spreading political ideas and propaganda. As it was mentioned before, it wouldn't be the first time that uh, arts are utilized in a scope of a political narrative. And of course, most of the times uh, such narratives are cherry picked. In the broader current social context, metal music has become a subject of equality studies too. According to Zimmermann's and West's social theory of doing gender, gender is behavior. On the other hand, Heidi Reidmacher suggests that metal music is undoing gender in the sense that women behave more masculine to avoid the overly sexualized context of the metal scene. Under this prism, how are femininity and masculinity seen in the metal scene, as the aforementioned scholars argue that metal music is doing gender while others indicate it is undoing gender? Metal, if we're talking about statistics, is a predominantly male musical genre. I, I don't think it's uh, by choice. I think it kind of just happened. Uh, but I mean, statistically speaking, most bands are uh, made up of men and most of the audience is male. So if you go to a metal concert, you will see a predominance of uh, men, men on stage, men on the MOSPIT, men everywhere. Uh, we do have some very colorful words about that in the Greek metal scene, but they're not appropriate for this show. So <laughs> moving on. Uh, 
However, however, I, I definitely don't see uh, metal as being sexist or excluding women. For instance, uh, especially in the last uh, 10, 20 years, you do have a very strong female presence in metal, like front women in bands and uh, even solo acts. Uh, uh, to be honest, in my personal experience, I've worked with some amazing uh, female metal artists uh, who are great, even when it comes to brutal vocals or uh, soprano vocals or playing keyboards, playing guitars and also i think um uh, the band tristessa uh, in greece was the first uh, worldwide actually female only black metal band so greece does have this uh, let's say originality in creating a female all female black metal band however uh, metal does have this sort of 80s aesthetic. So it, is, it has this uh, 80s romantic approach towards its aesthetic. So it's always the guy on the big heavy metal motorcycle and the girl on the back. Uh, that's, that has to do more, I think, with an outdated kind of aesthetic that is combined with the uh, prevalence of men but still metal does portray women in a very favorable light i mean there are uh, i can recall bands uh, dedicating whole albums to Zenobia, uh portraying her as the warrior queen that she is uh, personally i've written at least a couple of songs about uh, telesila vargos and um and the Pythagorean women that stood up to the tyrant of uh, Samos and all that. Uh, and Boudica as well is a favorite figure of uh, heavy metal uh, uh, themes as the warrior queen who stands up to the Romans and faces their legions. So when it comes to historically inspired heavy metal, women do play an important role. Of course, since history traditionally is written by men, you know, uh, and focusing more on the deeds of men, the historical sources available do marginalize women. Uh, therefore, metal influenced by history gives a prevalence to men. But that is not due to a sexism in heavy metal. To be honest, I've never encountered anybody sexist in the heavy metal scene myself, in my personal experience. Uh, nor do I think it's actually possible, to be honest, Exactly because there are few, rel relatively few women in the metal scene, uh, they are greeted with uh, quite open arms. I'm thinking now 20 years ago, but since those 20 years, nobody bats an eye to, for a, to a female-fronted band or even an all-female heavy metal band. So I think matters of, of gender in, um, in heavy metal are more, like, more likely to be goaded in the artwork and in the expression by a retro kind of aesthetic, if you will, rather than sexism or separation of genres by choice and uh, with a whole philosophy to back it up. So it's more of a, let's say, antiquated kind of uh, 80s or 90s approach to the whole men-women kind of issue. And you know, uh, when you have the big muscular warrior, it's not like the metalheads are big and muscular, nor are uh, the women in metal scantily clad in chain male bikinis. You know, that's just an artistic interpretation. It's not um, a conscious choice of how I want to see the world. I haven't read in detail the social theory of Zimmerman and West about uh, doing gender uh, who they consider that gender is behavior. and But based on my interpretation, I would agree with that theory that gender can be predominantly determined, in a sense, based on behavior. 
and not vice versa. For instance, I started to listen to metal music when I was 10 years old. And I was always excited to read about the heroism found throughout history, even though there were not any female model roles. Of course, I became aware of the whole history of the Amazons that was more like a myth. Then I came across uh, Queen Cleopatra, who was demonized by Romans. And then I wonder, do we really have the history as it happened and we read today, or is everything through the Roman lenses? And this is why I asked you to do that episode regarding Romans propagandizing the Hellenic philosophical heritage, scientific one, even military one, and historically. I don't really believe that uh, history has been uh, quite favorable towards women, female figures. At the same time, I would say that when I listened to metal music or even when I was present in a metal concert, I never really felt I had to suppress my femininity because I'm a highly intellectual person and to me, most things are perceived by mental mechanisms and processes. So the whole idea of heroism maybe was something that uh, I was attracted to. So I never really saw any need for me to follow the metal scene that I had to denounce my physical appearance. And yet my physical appearance is not always aligned with my behavior as it is defined by genders today. And this leads us to our final question, Myrian. Apart from the initial examples of metal songs inspired by Greek mythology and history, the American band Virgin Steel produced two albums based on Aeschylus or Estia, while Symphony X, a progressive metal band with strong essence of classical music, produced songs based on Greek mythology and literature, including the Odyssey. We also do not often see bands in the full spectrum of the metal scene engage with day-to-day -day reality material. Could we say escapism is essential to metal music and why? Well, you just mentioned two of my, well, one of my all-time favorite bands, Virgin Steel and David DeFay is quite a genius, the frontman and songwriter of the band and also singer. And these two albums, uh, The Fall of the House of Atreus, Act One and Act Two are incredible examples of uh, metal meeting uh, classical antiquity and actually uh, classical Greek tragedy. And at the same time, that's uh, back to what we were saying before about being able to be yourself and express yourself in a metal concert. Yes, that is my experience and my feeling from the heavy metal music scene, be it a concert, uh, fellow musicians or working on a project that heavy metal and especially uh, historically inspired heavy metal uh, embraces everybody. It's like a big family and you can be pretty much whatever you want without shame, without being judged. And the more badass you are at it, the better you are. So Amazon's welcome, just like barbarians are welcome, you know, uh, it's that sort of thing. But this leads us to uh, the next part of your question about escapism. Why does heavy metal so often deal with such uh, issues that uh, belong to mythology or to history or to a time long gone? 
Uh, sure, of course, you do have metal, a lot of metal genres dealing with contemporary issues, but there's quite a big chunk of the heavy metal genre that uh, is fixated, let's say, on escapism, on the idea of the good old days. And may I mention another great album by my favorite band, Virgin Steel, Noble Savage. So that's actually, uh, in two words, uh, the um, quintessence, the quintessence of uh, heavy metal's escapism, going back to the noble savage, to this idealized ancient past that everything was nobler. And that is, I think, uh, part of the appeal and the allure of heavy metal, uh, that it's, it refers to themes and to stories and to myths uh, that reflect this freedom uh, through not conforming the norms. Keep in mind that heavy metal is actually a, an extreme, a marginal, let's say, type of genre in the sense that rock and roll was once. Nowadays, sure, pretty much everything is mainstream and heavy metal is uh, seeing, uh, you know, a new rise in popularity after uh, the last season of Stranger Things which by the way was great, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and yeah, so heavy metal is totally dominated by escapism, especially the black metal and the power heavy metal genre is dominated by escapism because uh, it either wants to speak about the modern world in metaphors, in metaphors drawn from classical antiquity, drawn from myth, and use the archetypes of heroes or even uh, ancient literary figures um, to reflect on strong emotions. As we mentioned earlier, heavy metal is all about the emotion. Uh, escapism is the way to do it. Um, you really don't get that much uh, of a strong emotional response when you talk about uh, everyday stuff, at least in a powerful and let's say extreme genre as heavy metal is. So I would say, yeah, it's uh, escapism is an integral part of heavy metal because it's part of the magic. It's part of this uh, step further, this step beyond all the boring mundane stuff. And it's part of the magic of heavy metal, to be honest, it's, it's part of the magic that really transforms you and that's why you have so many uh, die-hard metal fans throughout their lives throughout their lives i mean uh, that's that's how the magic works thank you maria for accepting for the seventh time the invitation to the global greek influence podcast and discussing the metal music in the greek history and mythology and vice versa Thank you very much. Uh, seventh time went by before I even knew it. Have fun and hope to see you soon. Stay tuned for another podcast episode every two Sundays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music and six more podcasting platforms. Until next time.